y'all, Selene. And it's Katie, and this is Classically Black Podcast. Where we talk all things classical music and being black in the profession. With trap beats playing in the background. Hey, girl. Hello, Catherine. So, the government? What's going on? You said what? I said what about it? The government name? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) the actual government i was like what now <laughs> um we want to start on a, a good note a high note you know so <laughs> you're not gonna be happy about my news this week then so it's like if we have one good week like what you about know? a week where like chicago symphony orchestra hires all black cello section <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's on fictionally black book <laughs> Um, it's playing. That would never happen. The board of trustees will probably implode. They'll probably their skin will probably start melting. Wow. <laughs> um. So, the chicken sandwich. Oh, did okay. you try it? No, I have not tried it. See, I feel like the premise is good, but it's the people that are employed at Popeyes. Like the standard is way too high. I feel like they can't. I've been seeing some things, you know. I went to Popeye's to try it and they told me they ran out of the bread. Like, that's so freaking ghetto. <laughs> but I went to the Popeye's in a white neighborhood too, which which I was already weary about because I was like, they probably got the they probably got the bad chicken. Cause don't nobody care how it tastes over here. So The bad chicken but some really good bread. Like some really soft type but bread. But I've seen I mean, they selling out everywhere and everybody says it's good, so it's probably the the, the thing is I was in the drive-thru, so I still, I got my usual. So mm-hmm. now I'm not going to go back for like another, like at least another two weeks. But I'm afraid that once the hype dies down, then they're going to just start getting lazy with it. And I, I saw be as good. the gifts have been hilarious. There's one where with a Popeye's um, employee, like slumped over, like yeah, on day break. <laughs> Y'all wearing these people out, like. When I used to eat chicken from Popeye's, which my normal was like a five-piece wing, don't judge me, because four is not enough and six is too much. So, shout out to Popeye's. Um, it was it would always be an experience. Like, I don't understand why I can't just get my food and leave. Like, Yeah, they, and I, I don't even remember. I think maybe one time in all my years of eating Popeye's, and I've eaten Popeye's since I was very little. Um... I think they've probably gotten my order right once, maybe twice. Exactly. You're a fool if you leave Popeyes without checking your order first. A fool. <laughs> and like, and my my mom's one of the type of people that don't like to check their food at the at the drive through window. Listen, I know anxiety's high. I get it. I, get I know that, yeah. the the workers are judging you, but it's like, first of all, you already waited thirty minutes up to this point. Chicken sandwich or not? So. And also, you don't try to look around. at me. Yeah, and don't try to look at me like I'm ridiculous for doing this when you know that you guys frequently get orders wrong. And you know your colleagues. Ain't nobody paying attention back there. Not one. And my friend, me and my friend went to Popeyes this one time in high school. They got every single aspect of his order wrong, but like it was staggered. Like, <coughs> like so he kept having to go. Like we were inside the Popeyes, and he kept having to go up there. I think he went back up there about four times. At that point, he, he ain't been to Popeyes since. 
I don't like blame every him. <laughs> every time I mention Popeyes, he's like, absolutely not. You know exactly why I don't go there no more. <laughs> like, like he asked for you asked for regular chicken strips. They give you spicy bone in chicken with a, the wrong side and no condiments. It's like okay, <laughs> but you know what? I think it is. I'm not even gonna lie. I I heard people having experience like you, like they never get your your order wrong. Popeyes normally got my order right because I'm getting normal things. Like I would get five piece wing, fries, maybe a freaking strawberry. When I was back, when I was wilding, a strawberry sprite slept on, and that was it. Like I had no special. I didn't ask for no sauces. I have hot sauce okay, at the house. Okay, but I I get chicken strips. Oh, well, see, I, I tried to help them. I did, but I um. But the sauce is not even the bad part. My chicken must be spicy. Why why am I eating regular chicken? I get a three-piece chicken tenders. Um, and I used to always get barbecue. And then my sister put me on to Sweet Heat. Which, if you haven't switched over... I'm, I was loyal to barbecue for almost two decades. Okay. And then I switched over. <laughs> no, for real. When she, when she texted me talking about some Sweet Heat, I was like, you're a traitor. Like, <laughs> you are a traitor. And now I get it. But even I try to sweet because as I can eat at some Popeyes, I just have to ask them uh, if they fry their fries in the same oil as the chicken. Which to me, maybe I'm biased because I'm vegan. But why you want chicken flavor fries? To me, that doesn't make it any don't sense. Taste like chicken though, it, like it doesn't change. I don't think it changes the taste. That's why they probably don't think about it. May, but okay, but you know how? Okay, did your mama ever used to save grease? Yeah, we still we have a couple grease in our stove. My mom, my mom be fake healthy, so cause she definitely has some chicken fillet. I ain't trying to put her business out, but she definitely has some Chick Fil A the other day. But so she don't really fry stuff like that. Be every blue moon, but also I don't live here, so I don't know what she be doing. Um, but back in the day, like she would save grease. She would save grease. It's chicken grease for a couple of fries, and then on your last leg, it's catfish grease because you know once you fry catfish, it's like freaking over. Um. And like low key, that when you bind to the catfish, it low key tastes like chicken just a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Really? Just a, just a little grease, bit. I mean, we save my mom. To my knowledge, only saves bacon grease, which obviously does make things taste like bacon. But she does it. She saves it like for flavoring, like mm. to put it in stuff. No, because you know how like oil is like low key expensive. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Well, expensive. yeah, we have a deep fryer now. I think mm-hmm. she got it as a gift. So that grease will just save save it in the deep fryer. Yeah. Fry stuff again. That's what my mom would do. I don't. I forgot. I think she, like, she would. She'll fry chicken or whatever, and then she'll put it in a plastic bag, or I think no, she'll put it. Okay, or like in a cup or a container. Yeah, she'll put it back in the cup in the container. So it's like that's the this is the fresh oil and this is the chicken oil. Mm-hmm. But that was back in the days when you know she didn't really care like that. Now it's like everything is whole wheat and sugar free. Oh yuck! <laughs> we don't fr- we don't fry that much unless Danielle's here, and then in which case we frying everything. <laughs> like, I remember, I remember she came over. We was both of us in the refrigerator. What can we fry? What's in here? What we got Loki. Like, there's nothing that's comparable to frying, but I just don't do it because my pants are begging me not to. It's so good. Well, get an air fryer. I I must get an air fryer because I I'll be watching the girls on YouTube. They air fry everything. So I'm gonna buy one. I want a nice one. So I'm gonna that's, wait till. That's foolish to me. I would love. I don't. Hmm. 
I feel like I don't eat as much fried stuff as I used to. It don't make you feel good. Yeah, it don't feel They're, good. It's not good for your skin or your heart. Well, that explains a lot about my skin, so. Okay. There's a couple, because some people, like, there are some things, like, fair food. I know it's meant to be ridiculous. But first of all, Garrett, first of all, shout out to Garrett. He over here tweeting about some fried olives. Now, why I you forgot to olives? I forgot. I forgot to respond to that tweet. I remember seeing that and being like, what are you talking about? It's sometimes. But why are you fried fair. olives? Why? Oh, and he went to the fair. Like, yeah, you know fair food. They just be doing whatever. They, what, like, it's like, make sure, like, I don't know. Your health got to be on 10 to go to the fair. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Talk like, about some fried Oreos. Fried Twinkies. I would never, ever. You'd have to pay me big bucks to eat a fried Oreo. What the heck? I would eat a fried Oreo. Just one. I don't like Oreos, and that doesn't sound (gasps) good to me. Did I know that? Yes, you know that. I don't think they're disgusting. Like, I'll eat Oreos in things. Like, cookies and cream ice cream is okay to me. But just eating Oreos? What the heck? I freaking love Oreos. Like, But people know that. I I will eat them. Like, I have to be careful. Because I will eat them until I start shaking. Oh, because... No, (laughs) because... Low-key... That's why I listen. I remember I went on a road trip, and... I had with my sores, so that means there's no vegan food in sight at all. And I found some Oreos at uh, we stopped at Wegmans and I got some Oreos and I ate not the whole sleeve, but I ate you know how them they come with them, there's like them single box of Oreos. The whole sleeve, y'all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine all three rows? <laughs> but I ate like one of them little boxes where it has like 12, 14 Oreos. I ate all of those. I had to go lay down, I was like shaking. Cause I was so dehydrated, my body started to do that thing where it's like, <laughs> it's pretty scary. Um, so yeah, I can't eat too many of them, but I love me. And you dip it in almond milk, you dip, dip, dip. It's so freaking good. Wait, you were with me when you tried the carrot cake Oreo? Yeah, I thought they were okay. I also I love carrot cakes. So I'm biased. Anything carrot cake. I don't know. I feel like the appeal, like if they were like more cream cheesier, like. I can see that. Yeah. I feel like that's anything with cream cheese, icing, I'm wanting to be like, I got like the cream cheese going to smack me in the face. Like red velvet cake. I had some red velvet cupcakes with vanilla icing. I was like, this is a waste. Are you kidding? Boss, you got that from Java's. Java's patience to be. I love Java's, but like sometimes. Oh, yeah. It was also they, hard and terrible. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Never uh, <laughs> Their vegan stuff is good. I've never had a bad. Their cupcakes are kind of, mm, but. Their vegan pastries are pretty good. Like, I don't have no complaints. Yeah, but you, I want... low for that, so... All right, so anyway... It isn't... They have this new cookie that's like a snickerdoodle, man. But, you know, I'm trying to... I had... I'm trying to get my... My little shape back, so I'm trying not to be wild. So back to s- suffering. But, um... Let me know when you taste a ch- chicken sandwich. I'm, you know what? I'm surprised... You that you haven't had it yet, me? Be- yeah, because Nikki, you know, like we're from Chicago, so Nikki called me. She's like, I don't know why everybody's going crazy. I had that sandwich months ago and it was trash. <laughs> like, which months I don't ago. take. Yeah, because remember Crystal tweeted about it like a couple months was- ago. No, she tweeted no- about it like two weeks before it came out. Oh, I don't know. We'll hook up, we'll hook up Nikki guy because... Maybe it wasn't months. Maybe it was weeks. I don't remember what she said, but she said she been had it and she didn't like it. So I don't it, know what she's talking about. It just came out. Which is weird because 
it was definitely out here. It was definitely in Chicago because Nicki Ben had it before. Yeah, that's probably maybe that's where the pre-release was at because I know they released it at some places before. Well, I hope y'all enjoy. I've been seeing. So I've been enjoying the internet and their reactions to it. So I hope you taste it. Yeah, well, I'm gonna have to already be out the house because I'm not leaving my house for that. So, I mean, you're gonna have to. I will just wait for it to die down. Remember that one time we played ourselves and went to the new Chick Fil A in Greece. <laughs> We were blocks away, and it was like three minutes before we closed. <laughs> it was that was the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life, and I and I only can eat the fries, Chick Fil A. And I, I was expecting the line to be long, but I was not, not expecting it to we be. We were there. we were blocks away in the like, line, it, at least eight <laughs> to ten blocks. Because remember, like we were down, and then you had to turn a corner and then go up like three more blocks <laughs> for for some fries, for some chicken. No, like at least at least you were getting a meal. Like what? What was I getting? Like Polynesian sauce and a lemonade. Slap. Meanwhile, it's there was a video on Twitter of some people climbing through the Popeyes drive-through window to fight over this some over the chicken sandwich. I said, "This is exactly what they want to see from us. You fight no, you fight exactly. over chicken. You fighting over chicken. You." <laughs> I said, "We must do better. We have to." And a lot of people, they, a lot of people are running low. I've seen a lot of people say like they go to their Popeyes and like I, 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 we ain't got no more, and they put yes. it like on the freaking menu and everything. Somebody videotaped this one dude. He went up to the door, opened it, then he read the sign and closed it. Went back. Yup, I saw that. <laughs> and there's this. Uh, I was coming from the airport, and there's this um, hmm. Popeyes that's like not in the hood, and the line was out the door. Okay, so, but to be fair, it's Popeyes, so it's small. But, but that's still it, not normal for Popeyes. Especially not that Popeyes. That Popeyes is in the weirdest location because it's like at the intersection of two routes. You know, like, you know, like an inner. I don't know if you experience this in in Cal in like L.A. I don't know how many routes intersect, but you know how like it's not a highway, but it's like Illinois Route 14. Like no, you know, it's like that. it's like not really walkable. Like it's it's two roads that intersect. That is it's a, it's a suburb thing, but it's like two roads that intersect. There's no sidewalks. Like people, you don't walk there. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, it's not walkable right there. And it's a Popeye's with a little parking lot. It's like, and the freaking line's at the door. I don't know. Y'all girls are crazy. But, so that's the news, right? All right. 15 minutes of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right. Great. So the, so the intermission. News. Oh, okay. I forgot about intermission as a segment. Man, I'm not going to sleep for a minute, huh? Okay. Um, news this You're week. like intermission this week. I'm not torturing you this time, so. Yeah, okay. News, more news. Um, yet another content warning for sexual oh assault. God! <laughs> and when are y'all going to stop? on something we've done before. It's a whole other. I was really hoping there was an update. Nope. Um, girls are pathetic. Opera, opera singer Placido Domingo has been accused of sexually harassing several women oh, over this. a number of decades. Um, eight singers and a dancer claim that they were sexually harassed um, by the Spanish tenor in the late 1980s. 
Also, six other women uh, women claim that he made them feel uncomfortable by making sexual overtures towards them, which I'm not exactly sure what that means. Um, a, a sexual overture? Yeah, I don't I don't know what that means, but that's how they described it. So y'all thotting around so. a Don Giovanni? I'm, I'm very confused. Okay. Um, Domingo has denied the the of uh, accusations. Of course, he has. Um, and the Los Angeles Opera, which he directs, um, has pledged to investigate the with the help of an outside counsel. You know um, what I'm convinced? Hmm. I think they just have a template, and they just fill in the names of who did what this time. It's always the same. It's like he denies the claims. They're gonna do an inside investigation. They're probably not gonna hire him. He's probably gonna sit out a season, and he's gonna be right back there. Well, he had to tell him he old, so I'm surprised oh. he even still performing. He dumb old. How like how old is dumb old? He, like in his seventies to be still ah, performing. He in the seventies? Yeah. He belts like, out three hour operas. That's what I was like. I was like he canceling a performance. I nah, thought they he, got the medics on stage left. Ain't no way. <laughs> that's why i was like to be performing like he's oh let me just double check real quick yep he's 78 no don't believe yeah. you yeah, I, he's literally <laughs> 78 i just around. googled let it let me see i just googled it what are you talking about oh i just right here oh wait let me zoom in so you cause okay can i zoom in here we go placido domingo age 78 <gasps> yep which I was like, really? But okay. Opera um, looks tiring for everybody right. involved. Literally, like, everybody. Your core is not cracking right now. How do you even still sound? I don't even care about. The, I don't even care about the sound. I'm talking about the long arias you got to sing, plus the 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 finales, plus run around. Some of y'all be jumping up on rocks and jumping off of buildings and. But then again, fame and money. He's probably he's in tip top shape. Like true. um one that of the Koch, one of the Koch brothers who's a billionaire that just died, they said he was diagnosed with cancer twenty seven years ago. Well, okay then. Like I'm at oh yeah, like imagine you lived that long when you you lived almost three decades with cancer. Like you That's got a, money, you could you good. That is true. Um so this they got a statement from him. He said, um, after he uh, denied it, he said, still, it is painful to hear that I may have upset anyone or made them feel uncomfortable no matter how long ago or despite my best intentions, which I was like, you did not have to throw that in there. Exactly. <laughs> like, no matter how me. long ago it was, like, it don't matter. What? Are you kidding? It still happened. It's <laughs> like, what? Like, no matter how much time you had to get over it, like, <laughs> is what I heard, but, you know, I'm extra, so... He also said, people who know me or who have worked with me know that I am not someone who would intentionally harm, offend, or embarrass people, even though all of these women knew you and worked with you, so. <laughs> I'm just so, he should, did a publicist write this for him? Probably. I I hope not. <laughs> um, The San Francisco Opera canceled an upcoming concert of his, and so did the Philadelphia Orchestra, um, who had... Uh, plans to have him perform at some type of like gala event um and they withdrew their invitation and replaced him with a black queen audrey mcdonald i saw that yes ma'am yep. okay however 
Mm, I ain't gonna say that. Never mind. Keep going. What? <laughs> it's trifling. What'd you say? Because they act. Never mind. Mm-mm. Keep going. What happened? I'm trying to get a job one day. What'd you say? I'm not trying to get to nobody's final round and they <laughs> they pull up archives of this show. Keep going. I'll tell you later. Okay. Something. Um. Mm. And I'll be posting the screenshot on our story, so stay tuned. The um, screenshot. <laughs> Um, you're I also have Apple. access to the story. Okay. Okay, it's posting and deleting. Right. 20 hours so straight. We could go back and forth. Can we locking you out of the account? Not if I lock you first. Okay. Can we creating a 2.0? Okay. <laughs> we're freaking, and we're childing and shit enough to do it. Meanwhile, classically underscore black. <laughs> um, European opera houses um, are standing by their performance dates with him uh despite Seating. the allegations which I, I feel like this is low-key a pattern like i don't know what's going on over in europe but i feel like every time something is problematic it's probably because we're just more sensitive to that over here in terms of like um like just because america was was built on racism and misogyny and um all of that like in this Everything day and age and yeah and and i mean like europe is also very much responsible for a lot of that but they have a the i feel like their everyday life is more like removed from it because they just went they went over to other people's countries and messed everything up and then went back home mm-hmm. whereas like we're in one of the countries you know yeah so, so like with all the stuff with like having white people sing in porky and bass and not caring that it's supposed to be a black cast like I feel like that stuff happened much more in Europe and like all the blackface stuff that happens much more over there because like it seems like they just don't there's just less of a connection yeah to realizing that. that things are problematic and I that's you see that more with race I had this is the first time I've really noticed it with like uh sexism and, and issues of sexual assault but I feel like it's kind of in the same ballpark yeah, because they don't give a damn. They're like, well, we already paid him and signed the contract, so. Right, so. Let us know if he actually did it. <laughs> sorry, sorry you're offended. <laughs> right, but we have a show to put on. Show must go on, right? Right, so. Great. Um, <laughs> the heck kind of world we live in. This thing is literally like, this thing is crashing down. Like, when right, Kid Fury, s- Fury said that this week, I was like, or last week, I'm behind. I was like. Yeah, this world is cr- like it's like someone threw gas on it. Someone? We well. know who. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw this one thing that said the earth isn't dying. Uh, we're dying because the earth will be here after us. Like it, the earth is changing. Oh, well, good for the earth because it is right. nothing wrong. I was like, that's, that's, that's low key scary. Like we we're like, oh, we're killing the earth. And I was like, no, the earth will be fine. Like it'll be different. It's just the environment on the earth is going to be changing to an environment that we cannot <laughs> live in. Yeah, imagine waking up mind and go say that. This is not the tone of the podcast. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> we should create a, an archive of things we're not going to say on air. We should. And 20 bucks, you get the whole list. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably, with that list, you probably going to unsubscribe because it's, half of it is like ridiculously trifling. Right. Um. Well... 
On to bigger and brighter things. Uh, the Hartford Symphony Orchestra is looking to hire an education and community engagement manager. Um, we would love to see a person of melanated descent in this position. Yes, please. We're begging. We're pleading, actually. <laughs> On our please. knees right now. Like literally groveling. Graveling. Gravels rocks. Groveling at your feet. <laughs> Um, so a couple of uh, responsibilities of this position. Uh, this person would be dealing with pre-concert performances, with community partners, um, young artists uh, competition and other initiatives that deal with their education uh, department and organizing workshops for schools and other community partners so things that could really use some innovation um in terms of what orchestras are doing right now so it's just nothing so right blank canvas so right start from scratch easy um so i will be posting the link to that and then last but not least um, the Chicago Sinfonietta has just released uh, some of their project inclusion conducting fellows, which um, include Dr. Antoine Clark. Come on, doctor. Um, right. Oh, he was just at Gateways. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. There's a couple, couple black people, so I'm not going to go into detail about each and every single person because that's black excellence territory and it's too many of y'all. And also, y'all be popping, so we go. We're already, we're already right, twenty five so. minutes in, and half of that time was about chicken. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dr. Antoine Clark, um, Aaron King Vaughn, Kyle Dixon. Yeah! Hey, Kyle. <laughs> That's my boo thing. <laughs> That's right, my fucking boo. If y'all remember, Kyle was our Black Excellence a while ago. And um, also named assistant conductor Jonathan Rush, who was also our Black Excellence a couple months Woo! ago. So congratulations to all of y'all. And first and foremost, actually, congratulations to the Chicago Sinfonietta for ha- having the privilege of your company for this season. So Literally. <laughs> like, this, this is really a congrats to them. Right. You're doing well. Right. It's their pleasure. All right. <laughs> All right. So we can move on to whatever you got planned. All right, y'all. It's time for the intermission. Okay. Let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. <clears throat> okay, Delaney. So this week, we're going to talk about your first time. Ready? Okay. <laughs> no. What? <laughs> This is not the type of podcast. <laughs> Get your mind out the gutter, Delaney. You did that on purpose. Um. Okay. So, tell me. It's gonna be really quick. Tell me about your first teacher. Very first. It could be your first music teacher. Period. Or it could be your first. No. Keep it specific. Tell me about your first bass teacher. Oh. Um. My first bass teacher was in yola he was the teacher that i had all what's the way yola to, huh what's yola 
Oh, you thought you saw Los Angeles. We, girl, they know where y'all is. We just did a whole episode. <laughs> Some people might just be coming. They might just came here. <laughs> youth Orchestra Los Angeles is the youth orchestra um, of the LA field. So um, my first bass teacher um, worked in Yola, and that's where I started playing bass. And he was the teacher that saw me through to college. So I guess I'm only really on my second bass teacher. Well, my second, like, consistent teacher. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, what? No. Oh, nothing. Uh, my first VL teacher, her name was Liz. Um, she was my high school orchestra director's wife. Um, I set up my own lessons because I wanted to go to Blue Lake. I think I said this already, for sure. I wanted to go to Blue Lake. My mom was not having it. So I asked her for private lessons and said, and she gave in. Um, and she, I, so I called her, I said, I want to start lessons next week. She said, I can't do that. You can start in two weeks. And I said, okay, bet. And she was my teacher, um, until I went to Illinois state. So from seventh grade to 12th grade. Um, and I'm not going to say any more thing else about that (laughs) about her. Okay. Tell me about your first solo piece. My first solo piece was probably Capuzzi, uh bass concerto, which is like... You a concerto is your first solo piece? I just... Well, that's what I'm thinking of. What do you mean? Dang. Like, first solo piece in general? Like, yeah, like, you, y'all have solo ensemble in, um... In California? What is... What do you mean? You don't... Okay, solo ensemble, it's not a... Comp, it's like a competition, but with yourself. So... You learn a piece by yourself with a chamber group, and then you play for judges. They score you, and then based on the score that you get, you um, you get first, second, third place. And your goal is to get, oh, I think, yeah, yeah, your goal is to get the most amount of points. I was going to say it's the least, but I don't think so. In Illinois, anyway. Oh, they, I mean, they might have that. I just didn't experience it. Um, I don't know, like, thinking far back i don't know what my first solo piece is i was just thinking of like things i did early on so Mm -hmm. i played the first movement of this concerto it was it's a student concerto like it's not something i would like you would play if you weren't a student you know yeah um so yeah it's sort of like everybody's first little concerto it's not super easy like but it's not you know nothing like if i came to my teacher and it's like I want to play Capuzzi he would be like sis like it's it's very much meant to be your first one mm-hmm. um my first solo piece um I normally have really good memory but I'm I'm not sh- for certain if it was witch's dance which I forgot who wrote witch's dance um it's like in book two of Suzuki so it was either witch's dance or it was um what's up bum 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 beam bum bum ba beep ba 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 beep ba 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 bum 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 you know what I'm talking about but be up up be up be up be up 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 so it was it was one of them two I'm trying to figure out which whatever one I performed first there's they're also leagues apart one's in book two one's in book four but um yeah one of them two. Oh, is it Vivaldi? Vivaldi A minor, but D minor for viola. One of them two. Okay, your first excerpt that you learned. 
Uh, Beethoven 9, Movement 4, The Recitatives. Oh, yep. <laughs> Just like that. Uh, my first excerpt was Beethoven 5, second movement. Ah. Yeah, because that literally was not the right interval at all. But okay. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I it used to. I thought it was my strongest excerpt until like last week. So oh, okay, it's no longer the Chelsea Five. Okay, everything's did... getting stronger. <sighs> I did this thing, and like they gave me. I'm very proud of this. They gave me uh, comments, and they said nothing about Shostakovich Five, and I was like, oh, because it was literally perfect. And I would never say that about my playing. I would never say that about my playing, but them three little measures that that excerpt is, like I freaking drilled that for weeks. Like, and I I recorded it and I got a really good take of it. And I was like, yep, you did that. Now everything else after that, <clears throat> can't say, but that's probably my strongest excerpt right now. Okay, your okay. first perfect excerpt. They didn't say nothing about Shostakovich 5 because I mean, also everything else distracted them from that, so. Right, um, because so that yeah, because that's how audition panels work, right? Yep. Period. Ask anyone. Um, tell me about the first piece you played in a chamber group. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that would technically be some sort of bass quartet piece. Oh, actually, I remember. My teacher had this book of duets. Um, I don't know if they were meant to be bass duets or they were just for like bass clef instruments. But I remember it was in like like five, four or something or something like or like six, four, something with a very like long measure. And I remember looking at it like, what the heck? I was like 12. I had like just started. And I remember looking at it like, why is so many beats in here? Like, yeah. I don't even know what this is. Like, especially when it would be eighth notes. I'm like, so how many eighth notes are going to be in this measure? Like, how many? When you could literally, I mean, you could technically find out the answer. But, like, I would be getting lost. I remember yeah. that that was, that was a constant struggle. Um, But I did a duet with uh, cello and bass out of that book. Um, My first... Um, chamber group experience. I don't remember the name of the piece. I know it was by Bach. Um, and was it by Bach? Child, I can't remember. But so I heard it. <laughs> okay, so I heard the melody on Little Einstein's. I was in seventh grade, and I heard the melody on Little Einstein's because you know, like I used to sleep with the TV on, so I'll go to sleep watching Disney Channel. Wake up in this playhouse, Disney. Not gonna lie to you, didn't turn it off. Mind your business. So, little Einstein's would be playing. I heard the melody and I was like, um, I wanna play that. Like, that sounds like fun. So, I went to the public library, found the piece. Um, so, it's for string quartet. And I arranged it for violin, viola, and flute, and then competed it at my solo ensemble that year. So I don't know what it sounded like. I couldn't find it if I wanted to find it because it was on a desktop that's since been long gone. But that was my first uh, chamber group experience. Um, your first piece you played in orchestra, first ever piece. Mm. 
Ooh, I do not remember that. Um, I think the first piece that I played that was not an arrangement was Beethoven 1. And I know for sure I was faking some of that. Wasn't no way I was playing it. Because I was at my very first music camp, which was the summer before I went to high school. Which <laughs> was like my first... Um, my first time playing bass outside of yola and like i said my first time playing something that was not like a student arrangement Mm -hmm. so when it got to them to them fast notes you know i was my my boat was just skating over the strings (laughs) (laughs) i might just say ain't no way i was playing that okay you you had to cuff a little delaney like that you probably was getting some of their notes oh i mean you had a half notes in the beginning all right um my first orchestral piece was shoe symphony um and it's called such because you stomp your feet and shuffle your feet in the rest is that the one i messed up on no the piece okay the piece that you refuse to let go <laughs> is <laughs> actually challenging what is it called shooks what is it called um it's by Leroy Anderson. Is it challenging? Challenging for who? Should it have been challenging for me in my third year at a top music school? Listen, you need to give yourself grace yeah. on that. Meanwhile, I messed I messed up all the kids. <laughs> what an embarrassment! You okay? First of all, you didn't. Actually, Secondly, actually, they it was met, at the they, end they, of the piece. They went. They got to the end despite me, not because of me. <laughs> okay, so Delaney's yeah, literally shame. lying. You are literally lying. I'm not. Um, it happens. It happened to me because a professor, uh, his orchestra was doing an arrangement of uh, what's your what's your fave thing called classical symphony? Yeah. And he was um, it was a mess. It was just a freaking mess. Like it was pandemonium everywhere, especially in the last movement. Like okay, the other movements were fine, but the freaking last movement was it was a mess everywhere. And um, and so I'm I I'm playing with the violas, only one viola, and we got off, and he was starting to stare at me, and I'm like, this is literally your fault. Like <laughs> it's literally your fault. My kids, I said that to say my kids probably did something that caused you to get off. Like, it's probably, I, I don't remember the performance, but it probably wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. So. um, And no, you did not miss a true symphony. It's literally a great point five. That's literally, it's not even a full point. Um, Okay, last one. Your f- this is not in any particular order. I could have ordered these better. Oh, well. Your first master class, and what did you play? My first masterclass um, was before I even really knew what a masterclass was. What I'm not talking about studio, dude? just to be clear. Yeah. Okay. What is this dude's name? I think his name is David Young, I want to say. And I think he taught at Colburn Community School. And I remember he was coming to my first high school, the terrible one. Um <laughs> but it looked dope like that little yeah the architecture is great the school itself is also the placement trash. that's why i also didn't believe you the the placement of the school yeah i don't know what they're doing but it's la it was the school like my i don't know like they walking dropped, distance to all the arts building and stuff like yeah. that don't seem like you, a school that was suck they still suck it, it, trash i mean the, the 
I'm like you it's not somewhere that you should go if you're serious about it like you don't have to audition to go there so it's really just a free-for-all like do they still suck yes it's it's more like the second high school I went to it's like if you don't get into that one that's where you go and like people have all this hostility towards the school that I graduated from because they're like they think they're better than us I'm like first of all nobody over there's worried about you second of all even if they do think that they're right too because they, <gasps> they are so <laughs> and like people were like mad when I went there they were like you a traitor and and like because I care about my education sis you sound right. dumb I'm like you because they just be letting anybody up in there and then if you're serious about it like the the courses that they offer like you can't just do your thing like I had to learn how to play two other instruments just to fill up my class load yeah that's freaking ridiculous yeah like at least in my other school like i had to be playing the flute and the bassoon and choir like just to just so i had classes to take in my second high school like i had chamber music i had two string ensembles i had full orchestra i had theory you could take film scoring if you wanted to you could take all of this stuff like they even had for the theater people they had a stage combat class like it was like very intensive like you could actually focus on what you came there to do so it was great but um what was I about to say oh yeah the master class I, th- I played I think I played an excerpt um the bass solo in Lieutenant Kijay that's what I played Lieutenant Kijay who wrote that Pocofio mm. oh that's right that's right that's right that's right that sounds familiar um my first oh, ma- it went terribly by the way okay so that it probably didn't <laughs> it literally did that's before i knew how to play the basses so oh okay <laughs> oh. oh so similar to now anyway my first master class with, was with a veal professor from lawrence university uh ravinia no mine midwest young artists which is a youth orchestra program in the chicago suburbs does a viola day they also do a bass day and a cello day there's no violin day because y'all already have so much. Right, y'all got three hundred sixty-five of them. So, like, we get it, okay? <laughs> you, oh, you play the violin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, the, it's really dope because you pay like fifty dollars and there's a bunch of master classes and it's not heavily saturated. It might be now. I haven't gone in years because, for reasons why I won't say on here, but. Um, there yeah. are years I knew you were gonna do that. There were years that like it would be under attended, so I'm play, I play like three mass classes in one day. Leave me alone. I just don't want to see certain people, so I don't go. Oh, um, cool. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can and also I live in Rochester. I'm not flying all the way over here. Uh, all the way over to Chicago for a master class when Mr. Taylor drags me every week not anymore but used to um so i played what's that piece that i said i would never play again oh is it a brook brook yeah 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 brook romance i played the brook romance it went fine i guess i played book romance in one and i played uh oh i played the alamon from the first box suite so cute back then i really liked the viola um i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm kidding 
Okay, so I think I might, I might put these in the, Insta, in the Instagram if I can figure out how not to make it boring. Um, but thanks for coming to our first time. Hard to hear first. Um, I want to hear about your first time in regards to these questions. Um, so mm-hmm. don't be sending no freaky nothing in our right. DMs. I got a bunch of dick pics. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> no. I'll be like, are y'all okay? Uh, All right, that's what Katie's private DMs are for. So, wow, they're not. DMs are they're dry. Not. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sahara over here. Um. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's move on. All right, y'all. So this week we are talking about a fave, Miss Toni Morrison. Yeah. We're gonna be discussing her life and also some contributions that she's made to the world of classical music, which I'm sure is not something that everyone knew about. Um, obviously she's known uh for the huge contributions that she's made to literature, um specifically black literature, but also, you know, teaching everyone else how it's done. Yeah. So um, we're gonna talk a little bit about her life um, and her background, and then we're going to dive into the music stuff. Do you so. see that quote she said? She literally was dragging the girls. I stand. When she there was a quote, I, it was like, "Oh, you you saw that quote?" No, I I about? was gonna say I've subscribed to a couple of literary newsletters, um, and I haven't opened the t- like, of course like i have a literary one and a linguistics one and of course they're both talking about about her since a she newsletter on linguistics <laughs> sis i haven't read them yet because i want to sit down and like read them and like one of them i saw in the headline was like 18 like quotes from tony Mor- tony morrison and of course i'm sure they're gonna go more in detail you might like the literary one you probably won't like the linguistics one i actually just subscribed to another one so No, the the hopefully the this quote she was she was just dragging somebody and she was like when she was when because one of the criticisms Toni Morrison got rest in peace one of the one of the criticisms she got is that she didn't really do a lot of like writing seminars like the girls want to learn how to write and you know how to write so help us so she was like <clears throat> I'm sickening and you could never but um What's the quote you said what. That's the, that's the quote no but then so she finally did something i think at princeton and, and she was giving writers advice she was like don't nobody want to hear about your little life literally like oh, okay. little life was what she said because she was encouraging like creative thinking like your life can influence your writing but don't nobody care about your memoir and that's why she never wrote one. Oh wow it's interesting meanwhile i mean she kind of did the bluest eye is kind of it's kind of based on not mm, not really but her life definitely influenced it like uh like the bluest eye takes place in her in the town that she was born and one of the scenes in the the girl pecola that comes to live with okay so there's a girl named pecola and pecola got a bunch of problems mainly because she wants her eyes to be blue um so they come live with the main characters and 
Pacola, they the reason why they Pacola and her mom and stuff. That book is freaking messed up. It's really really good though. I, I recommend it to everyone. The blue side, but uh, the reason why Pacola comes and lives is because their landlord burns their house down. So they need somewhere to go live. So they go live with the main characters, and that happened in Toni Morrison's life. But you read that, so yeah. Yep. All right. So a little bit of background on her early life. Toni Morrison was born in Ohio to a middle class black family. Um, she grew up there and went on to attend Howard University. H U U No. I feel like your mom would appreciate that. You don't. I feel like you don't. You're not proud of that. And Richard, Richie would appreciate that. No, he would is school spirit. Richard. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Well, actually, actually, I, I the new Richard maybe. Yeah, the new Richard Mike's might, might right. appreciate. You, all Miss we know, he got a Howard sweatshirt. Right, a pink one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With glitter sleeves. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, she attended Howard University in an effort to sneak to uh, seek out other black intellectuals. That's what I should have done. Oh, preach. Oh. But I found them. Yeah, at East Yeah. Still found them. Oh, I gotta tell you about. Never mind. Keep going. Right. Speaking of black people, it's when I DM Trayvon. I was like, because he's there for orientation. I was like, oh, I don't Lord. see no black people in these videos. What we? What, what's the deal? What we looking like? <laughs> he gave it a whole rundown. He's like, so we got this. 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 <laughs> there's a. There's a. Uh, I think there's a couple coming in. Yeah, he says less than ten. He think he said he could name about four less or five. Less than ten. But that's better than I think. My class is probably three of us. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he said it's better than my year. So, um, anyways, right. She moved on to do her master's at Cornell, and then she uh went on to teach English at Texas Southern University for two years, and then back at her alma mater at Howard. Um, she taught English at Howard for seven years. Right, come on, giving back to the community. The community deserves you. Right. Um, then she began working as a textbook editor at Random House, and then she transferred uh, to another department there and became the first black woman senior editor in the fiction department at Random House. Um, and while she was a senior editor there, she played a vital role in bringing black literature to the mainstream. So she was um, partnering with a lot of black authors to edit their books um, and get them published. So... She really made that a priority, which is like amazing because you need these black people in high places exactly. doing the work to bring other people up. So I I thought that was amazing. Like there's so probably so many, um, like not well known authors that like we wouldn't know at all if it wasn't for her. Mm-hmm. And this is before she uh, found her success in writing. Like even before that, she was trying to uplift other black writers. So that was amazing. Um, then she began, uh, she had begun writing fiction as a part of an informal group of writers at Howard, um, that met to discuss their work. And that's when she wrote a short story about a black girl who longed to have blue eyes, which, as you mentioned, that short story then developed, um, into the story for her first novel, The Bluest Eye. Um, it was published in 1970 when she was 39 years old. And even though I got a, uh, initially got a favorable review in the New York Times, it didn't sell well initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but part of the reasons why, 
Okay, knowledge. Uh, one of the reasons why that uh the sales went up because he, oh, yeah, and then, and then the. I, I love Tony Morrison. I don't even know. Yeah, you don't know. Thank oh, God. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, s- several colleges ended up putting the bluest eye on their reading list for the Black Studies courses, and that's what really helped the sales go up. Which I was like, I'm, so, I was so uplifted to hear that. I was like, so that's that's what you call paying it forward because she did all of that work in the publishing to uplift Black writers, and then you got these professors like, you know what, this is what we finna do. We finna put her li- her book on a list. And you must read it. And then, obviously, that's how, you know, um, one of the main ways that word got around on how great of a writer she was. So, um, yeah, a lot of colleges made it a priority for their students to read the book. Um, And then, shortly after that, in 1983, she left the publishing uh, industry, went back to teaching, but mainly she left publishing so she could focus on writing. And then, that's you. Okay, not that's you. <laughs> um, it blows my mind that Toni Morrison was freaking editing books. Like what, girl? I feel like that's a hard job. You said what? An editor. I said. I said. I feel like that's a hard job. And that has to be hard because I. First of all, I have the attention span of a fruit fly, unless I'm practicing. Oh, okay. So it's like. Now it's literal mistakes. And you're like, Katie, I thought you edited this. I'm like, I did. Right. Something slipped through the cracks. Now they're looking at you. I'm like, Katie, it's called the bluest eye, not the greenest eye. I'm like, well, I thought oh, it'd okay. be nice if we. <laughs> I thought, oh, I thought it was called the bluest toe. So, I... <laughs> right. And then I thought, like, a little splash of color would be nice. So I put the greenest toe. You ain't like it? Oh, I thought it. I thought it was by Toby Morrison. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but that's fine. <laughs> Cause I low key heard her one time be called Toby, so it works. Right. They know what I mean, right? Um, so in nineteen eighty seven, this is kind of where her ascent really took off. So in nineteen eighty seven, she published her most esteemed and celebrated book, and it's kind of like a part of a trilogy called Beloved. Um, it was a New York bestseller for twenty five weeks. Um, in nineteen ninety three, nineteen ninety three stand up. Um, she oh won. <clears throat> she won the Nobel, P- uh, like Nobel Prize in Literature. Um, then in 1998, uh, she was on the cover of the Time magazine, and at that time, she was the second female writer in the second black stand up. I almost forgot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um. She was the second female writer, second black writer of fiction to appear on the cover up to that point. So they also made a movie out of out of the book, which flopped. But what Toni Morrison really began to pick up, which is like, uh, I guess, Oprah selected Song of Solomon for um, her book club in 1996 and then The Blue Eye in 2000 and this gave her career a significant boost because like oh, oh Oprah we gotta right. we gotta buy it too we gotta read it too and like the blues I sold something like 800,000 copies after that um wow. and it's like years later like Tony, Tony Morrison like gives me hope it's like girl keep running them excerpts sir mm-hmm. keep to- tooting on that tube okay like you gonna you gonna make it because like at this point like she was she was older you know and now she making ducats um she did a bunch of collegiate uh, teaching, like Delaney 
uh, alluded to, like at Howard, Cornell, and Princeton. She got a Boku um, honorary doctorates uh, from the University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, Gustavus Adolphus College, University of Oxford, Rutgers, University of Geneva, and Princeton. Um, she has a ridiculous net worth, um, and all her writing champions the black experience. So it's it's like black black like everything about it everything she ever wrote about is extremely black talking about like the experiences that black people have in this country um as a result of this country um because of this she left an incredible legacy um so as Delaney said before she dabbled in classical music a little bit and of course a writer of this esteem and magnitude is going to uh, have an effect on the arts so we're gonna look at some works or whatever so um wanna go first Eleni what you what you find okay so I'm gonna be talking about an opera t- uh titled Margaret Garner um that Toni Morrison wrote the, the libretto for so this is a two-act opera that was composed by Richard Daniel Poor, who by the way is not a black composer I was curious Mm-hmm. but yeah. um same here but it's fine mm-hmm. uh it was composed by richard daniel poor um with like i said libretto by Tur- by tony morrison um it was co-commissioned by the michigan opera theater cincinnati opera and opera philadelphia um it premiered on may 7th 2005 at the detroit opera house um, with Denise Graves in the title role. Yes. Oh, and, she's everything. Oh my God. Since Katie's famous, she just played with Denise Graves at um at Gay How Graves. do you sound? Now, Delaney, how do you? First of all, no one believes you. You literally did. No, no, no. The way you phrase it, Delaney. Let's keep going. Yeah. Right. Because you're wrong. I'm right. Not since I'm right. Because you're um, wrong, but keep going. Since I'm right. You're wrong. So that okay, was not. But so. even but since I'm right. Um anyway. The opera continuing your wrongness. Alright, so but um right, meanwhile we're both adults. Anyway. Um <laughs> the opera was the opera was based on the life of a runaway slave uh named Margaret Garner, um, whose story was also the inspiration for Beloved. Um so I'm gonna get a little bit. I'm gonna get into the synopsis of the opera a little bit. Um, Margaret Garner and her husband and her two kids were were all slaves, um, and the person who owned her, his daughter, sort of looked up to her because obviously you know they had slaves raising their kids, so a lot of them were seen um, as mother as mother figures in in one way or another. Um, but that's a side note. She really looked up to her and respected her, but obviously no one else on the plantation was feeling the same. Um, so Margaret and her husband and her two kids tried to escape, but they're caught by an overseer. Um, and after a struggle with that guy, Margaret's husband kills that, uh, overseer. So I know they probably like, oh my gosh, that's low key the premise of that movie that Daniel Kaluuya is in that's coming out. Have you seen that? Yeah. I I said, I won't be attending. I'm so, so sorry, but But my heart can't take that. I mean, but if that's the way it's ending, then I'm like, I might could tune in. Yeah. I'm sorry, but this is a, that, that's a side note. But yeah, Daniel Kaluuya is in that movie. I don't know if y'all seen that preview where he kills a white cop after a poor, after a traffic stop. I was like, my heart literally cannot take that. 
no you're black and you your life is over literally you're the cop and you're black that's like <laughs> it's over Ooh. you might so as well like it's right so um anyway yeah so he kills the uh, overseer after a struggle a struggle and then they they keep moving but they're later caught by a posse and of course her husband is lynched um so then margaret then kills her two children to prevent them from returning to slavery um which is which is true that is historic that is accurate um to what happened because obviously since it's an opera some things were changed some things are not totally accurate like the killing of the overseer is not accurate um in real life but um her killing her her children to prevent them from going back into slavery is something that she actually did which i could not imagine i Um, when she said she killed her freaking baby like the baby was like two or three yeah and and, in actuality like in in real life there she killed one but some of the other ones she didn't get to Mm -hmm. um but in the opera she kills both of them um and it's then uh, arrested and charged with the destruction with destruction of property oh my god when i read that i was like you must relax right which is punishable by execution um so of course she was convicted because (laughs) what you know please pass that (laughs) right (laughs) um but the the daughter that i mentioned before the daughter of the slave owner who looked up to her was trying to get them to to you know go easy on her but she also had abolitionist views so she tried to get them to charge her with murder instead of destruction of property as to acknowledge uh the humanity of slaves which i was like i don't really know if that's how you go about that but anyway they was gonna they was gonna kill her over destruction of property anyway so i guess either way she dies yeah you know because i was like dang that's a heftier charge and like i i get the sentiment like they're not property they're people i get that but at the same time it's like dang now she gotta go to now she going down for murder but they was gonna kill her anyway so i guess it's you know but anyway um so they offer to commute her sentence if she admits guilt but she's like no i'm not doing that so um she walks off the gallows anyway and that is how the opera ends so that sounds very very sad to me um so some things throughout the opera um the music itself was influenced by gospel and of course some spirituals because that makes perfect perfect sense and a lot of just musical styles that were used or yeah were used at the time um by the characters that it's based off of Mm -hmm. um which i don't know for some like i was kind of trying to find some information about like how it came about because it was interesting to me that like this composer like this is something that um he would want to embark on like this was his first opera by the way oh yeah which i was like oh okay like and and it's crazy because it, it was commissioned like um he started writing it in 1998 and it premiered in 2005 but like i'm just wondering like they commissioned it from him and it's his very first opera but um curious as to like what inspired him to do this particular story um yeah yeah and um like i i feel like a lot of composers when you see them using like influences from certain types of music especially 
um, musics with like cultural or like, genres of music with cultural significance like gospel um, or spirituals it's mm-hmm. some sort of like personal connection there so you're right yeah that's something that like I was like mm, okay um but um another another theme was that was really really uh prominent in the opera was like moral complexity and dissonance which was the theme with yeah yeah with um margaret's decision to either let her children go back into slavery or to kill them and like that's something that she like a a very difficult decision that she had to struggle with and like what is the right thing to do there because like there's literally no good answer um and then also i couldn't imagine like killing your own kid yeah like i don't even what the heck um like i just can't even imagine just the like the heartbreak that comes with literally either one of those decisions I can't imagine. Um, also, feeling desperate enough to to feel like you have to kill your own kid, right? Um, and then also the moral the moral dissonance that comes with um, the the owner's daughter, who was trying to push this abolitionist agenda of like these people are people and they're not property, but also you know there was a whole debate of whether to uh, charge her with destruction of property or to charge her with murder. Like the, the daughter had this whole back and forth with like, okay, this is someone that I care about. Should I push for this? But also this is a cause that I care about. Should I push for that? Like, and so with those, like with that sort of back and forth, I feel like that's where a lot of um, a lot of the music that was in this opera that's like very I don't know how to describe it. It's like sappy and like uh, like kind of saccharine. You know, it's supposed to be like very emotional, and I feel like especially in those moments mm-hmm. where there's like a very strong dissonance um, between like what the characters are deciding to do, like that's where that displays itself like the most but yeah very very sad story i was like who to lay especially since it's based on a real thing that just actually happened right i mean with some liberties but it actually right and like it's not even like oh they made up the worst parts like the worst parts were pretty accurate so another work another way that tony um i'm sorry miss morrison right, i was about to say don't have dr my, morrison my angelou gonna come for uh, your neck <laughs> right now I, now i wake up in the middle of my tony morrison standing at the foot of my bed ask me to say her name again um so another way that she dabbled in uh with classical music was with a song cycle so it's called honey and rue um it's a song cycle for soprano and orchestra um the composer who is andre preven i'm saying that right um was influenced by the bluest eye and wanted to do this piece um it's written and based on the landscape of the black woman's experience in america in different ways different facets different okay facets what is that facets um and yeah 
Um, it was commissioned by Carnegie Hall. Um, and it premiered um, on January 5th, 1992 with uh, Preven conducting the orchestra of St. Luke's. Um, later on that same year, uh, Dr. Morrison participated in a performance um, as an orator of the same thing. And then it was also the season opener for Tanglewood. So they were very excited about um, this project. So uh, Kathleen Battle is a soprano that premiered this work and all three of them worked together to to um, to do this. Kathleen was uh, specifically selected to um, to be the soprano in this opera. Uh, I, I wasn't familiar with the name Kathleen Battle. Uh, vocalists don't drag me, but she was that girl. Um, she's an American opera singer. She went to Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, she went to the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, studied music education at the um, bachelor and master's level. Um, and she worked in her city, uh, Cincinnati. And but she would take vocal lessons on the side. Her career really started to take off when she was working with James Levine, which I know. But um, he helped her get to know the industry and working with the top conductors. And she she went on to do a bunch of uh, roles. She was uh, let go from the Met, <laughs> but we can talk about that another time because I'm curious. Um. And she's known to be one of the finest coloratura sopranos of her time. So as I said before, the score was written by Andre Preven. He was a Jim. Okay, not everybody's Jamaican, Katie. He was a German American composer, um, and he has a really interesting career. He died. (laughs) Right. Um, He died earlier this year, as mentioned on the show that I learned. uh, he had a really multifaceted career. So he composed and arranged for Hollywood. He did over fifty films, but he was he also served as music director for Houston, Pittsburgh, L.A., Phil, Oslo, Phil, and he was the principal conductor of the London Symphony Orchestra and the Royal Philharmonic. So he popping, and then also he really dabbled in jazz. So he was a pianist. The main thing was that he was a pianist and interpreter and arranger of songs from the Great American Songbook. And you can really see this in his writing. I'll get to that a little bit later. So Honey and Rue um, is in six movements. It's fully orchestrated, um, but it's for a smaller orchestra. Um, What I like about this piece is new music, but it's not... But it's not new-new. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like... <laughs> it's not like there's a beginning, middle, and end. Clear. Okay. Um he uses so okay, so it's new music and that he uses melodies and harmonies that you would kinda expect. Like there's definitely a bug a deem. You know, it's it's in there. Okay. It's in there, okay? You got you got a <laughs> So. It's freaking in there, okay? Um, he uses free tonalities and compatience and hemiolas. Um, but he also is greatly uh, influenced by jazz and uh, blues because when you're writing, if you're orchestrating works by Toni Morrison or influenced by Toni Morrison, that only makes sense. And um, 
so yeah he did that um so like i said there are six movements let me pull up the the titles of them so the first movement is first i i'll try love which is a reflection on something that's seemingly unattainable i have no comment for that because oof. really nope um yeah okay i literally don't uh the mm-hmm. second one can i i thought we wanted to get through this yeah um the second one is whose house is this and this is a depiction of like the alienation that african-americans experience in this country as in present tense Amen. and past tense and probably future tense right. um the third one this town is lit which i'm going to talk about a little bit the fourth one uh do you know him which i'm also going to talk about the fifth one i am not seaworthy which is a dark reflection tony morrison be like <laughs> it, it can get real dark but hey that's what it is um is a dark reflection on the drowning inspired by the middle passage and the last movement take my mother home is a wish for self-sacrifice in the face of slavery um so i'm gonna talk about uh very briefly three of my favorites i encourage you to take a listen it's a it's a very quick listen every movement's about six minutes so uh put it on while you listen while you're on your commute it's it's nice or just listen to it because it's good um so this town is lit i like this one a lot first of all because it has lit in the title tony morrison knew um (laughs) i like this one a lot because it contrasts the um the contrast between suburban living and suburban comfort and city so like the suburban part is really like um comfortable and um well placed and i don't want to say it's solemn but it's like you know what i'm saying it's, it's nice and then it's contrasted with city living it starts moving really fast um a lot of excitement in the music so i thought that was really cool um my favorite movement by far however would have to be take my mother home it's the last movement and it just it just feels good it's like really jazzy lots of blues in there um the there's great brass in it like that trombone solo is like it it just it just feels really comfortable and i think in this movement you see most about um Previn, I really hope I'm saying his name right. Previn, I, I don't know. Previn, yeah. Previn, you really see his expertise in like film study, film scoring, and um, jazz come to play in this movement personally because of how well it's written. There's like really good use of the drum set, really good use of the piano, and it's also a little viola moment. So I was like, <laughs> oh. Uh, so that's definitely my favorite movement. I listened to it several times. Like I was like i actually really really like it um and then honorable mention is do you know him which um is like a addressing it's a solo movement so it's just for voice and addresses the identity of god and it's just really beautiful um and really beautiful singing so um yeah i I really like the piece i recommend that uh people listen to it i wish i heard it program more as well right i was just thinking like i was like dang imagine if you saw this um on the freaking concert schedule for eastman besides instead of dvorak eight for the second time in the past three years yeah i'm 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 waiting for a particular time where we can start dragging where we where we gonna drag eastman because that 
it, your first year yeah i remember dvorak 8 was played yes. by so my in 2016 my first my, year in right school. exactly my freshman year and now my senior year y'all playing dvorak 8 again y'all couldn't play y'all couldn't even have played any of the other dvorak symphonies at the very least what i mean personnel don't want to learn new symphonies it's pathetic there's literally thousands of them <laughs> but so um it's, it's dumb it's like do your job you have to learn things duh um doy <laughs> silly goose <laughs> silly goose um and if you don't want to learn it you have conducting students but I ain't even gonna lie I, I'm not even gonna hold you if it's time to do the black concerto the bl- or the black symphony and a, a TA is doing it I'm, I would feel some type of way about that I'm not even gonna lie Oh really? Like, yeah. Are you kidding? Well, now it's time to bring out the Florence Price. So now it's it's uh it's his cycle off. Are you kidding? I wouldn't. It's tacky. I, I guess I wouldn't think of it th- just because they conduct on almost every concert. So like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even necessarily. I feel like my mind wouldn't go there. My would, especially if the conductor wasn't there at all, or he's doing something else. Like you, you give the black piece to somebody else because what is what it's easier you don't want to learn it or why we gotta do this black junk all right but i mean no but i guess i wouldn't feel that way because he picks the pieces so like if he chose that one or like i don't know i guess my mind just wouldn't go there because like they don't they don't give uh that's the opposite but um but i don't know they don't really give them the easy pieces because like freaking one of the people did symphonic metamorphosis you know but I that see is true, and they did. I mean, I, I'm not even gonna lie. Maybe, maybe it's like dramatic, but I would feel some type of way about that. Um, but this will be. I mean, now that we know about these pieces, this will be. I wonder how big the orchestra is. It's you have to, you got to go through a lot to get the music. Not a lot, but it's it's a newer work. You know what I'm saying? So, but this would be dope, especially like. Oh, I got an idea. <laughs> but um. Yeah, this would be. I didn't, and I, the thing that makes me mad about it is that I didn't even know these works were done. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't even know these existed. Mm-hmm. Me either. Um, Tony Morrison really was that girl. Um, but let us know your thoughts on these works. Have you heard about them before? Um, yeah, it's cool to see how. Um, I like to see inter interdisciplinary things happen, and this is really True. cool. Yeah. Um, especially black things, blackity black black. And it's like if you teach public school, this is the perfect opportunity. School is starting up. This is the perfect opportunity to collaborate with the English teacher. More than likely, depending on the school, more than likely somebody in your building, unless you teach elementary school uh, or middle school, because Tony Morrison stuff is kind of heavy, but. A lot of juniors and seniors read The Blue Sigh, Song of Solomon's also another one, Beloved's another one. Like, this is the perfect opportunity to collaborate and do something. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, not at my white school. Lots of you didn't hurt. Oh, Kurt yeah. Vonnegut. And who's the dude that wrote um that, that book with the quote, So It Goes? That book was born. I didn't like it. But anyway, I forgot. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, I'm. I mean, Tony Mor the 
the Song of Solomon, so for AP English, um, you have to, oh my God, I freaking hated high school. I didn't hate high school. That's a lot, but <laughs> it was so much work. Like you had to, AP English, you had to come back to school with three books read and annotated. And one of them was um, Song of Solomon. Like my high school required, like there's black books all up in, okay, I'm lying. It's not all up in there. It's like, <laughs> It's like Song of Solomon. I mean, also, I graduated high school how many years ago? So it's like it could have changed, but probably not because education is really moving backwards it, or at, at the very least stagnant. So, mm-hmm. um, but the black books at ETHS are Song of Solomon, The Bluest Eye, and A Raisin in the Sun. Then they have the Jewish books. So the Ellie book. Is that Night? Night, yeah, yeah night yeah so there's that there's that's it everything else is white <laughs> lots of shakespeare oh if you want to call him otello especially we do it in blackface um and <laughs> i'm starting to be wild let's move on <laughs> but that's it everything else is white right. all right all, all right, right well Moving on to Black Excellence, where we hype you up, gas you up, and give you your props because there's room for everybody at the top. Who you talking about, Delaney? It's not your week. Are you? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Are you dead ass?" <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to bed. Oh my <laughs> god! I know I could tell by like how I just wanted to mess up your momentum. <laughs> You was finna mess up first of all, because I know it's not my week. I know. <laughs> because I just posted it today. You're freaking. <laughs> but I was like, I know she's not finna try me. Not at this hour. Yeah, are you sick? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chile. Okay. All right. So this week we're talking about Damien Sneed. Um, okay. This came about because he was recently appointed to faculty at Manhattan School of Music. Period. I mean, period. Um, he's on faculty uh, for jazz history. Um, so that was very uh, fairly recent, I think within the last week or two. Um, so that's, you know, the event. A lot, a lot of times when it's like Black X lie. Black excellences that uh, let it go. thank god <laughs> <laughs> no nah, but you said it one time and took like nah you're not gonna come probably to Black troll XY. you um but a lot of the times it's like something catches our eye and then we're our eyes are open to a million other phenomenal things that they've done in the past so a little bit about him um he's a pianist organist conductor composer producer arranger and arts educator right who spans multiple genres um he's worked with a lot of um jazz classical pop and r&b legends including oh my goodness aretha franklin uh wenton marsalis stevie wonder who we all know is my favorite diana ross and many many others um he's also a recording artist um and a recipient of the sphinx medal of excellence um, he is also, um, earlier this year, he embarked on a 36 city North American tour titled, We Shall Overcome, a celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
featuring okay. Damien Sneed. I know. I was like, I just love black people in high places doing black things. And making the girls listen. Because, like, I don't, like, I don't want to comfort anybody's blackness. On the mic, at least. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> just we, will, um, we will have other conversations. No, I don't want to comfort anybody's blackness. However, they're, like, sometimes having black people in high places is not enough. You know? Like, I like to see black people in high places doing black things. Exactly. Like this. Like, you went to 36 individual cities and were like, yep, we're celebrating um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. today and not just on MLK Day. Um, And you're going to listen and you're going to like it because it's great. Um, So, um a quote from him regarding this tour he said it was an honor to celebrate the life and legacy of the great civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. as well as many other great artists and public figures who used their voices and their art to let the world know that one day we will truly overcome God willing right um he also established a a boutique label called La Chateau Earl Records in 2009 well, come on in. Right. Come on, entrepreneur. Right. Right. Um, it reflects the musicians, uh, the musicians' varied musical interests. Um, and it features critically acclaimed artists from classical, jazz, gospel, and other musical genres. Um, it's released several CD projects, um, including his current album that came out in January 2019 called We Shall Overcome. Um, other releases include several other albums of him, of his, um, one of one of which is titled "The Three Sides of Damien Sneed: Classical, Jazz, and Sanctified Soul," which reminded us, which reminded me of us, because you know we got a couple <laughs> of different sides that you know. I love it. Like a lot of the stuff about him, like crossing over genres, although we don't really do that in terms of playing. Like, yeah. Um, just you know, being on the mics, like we do make a point to, you know involve other genres that we're that we're interested in or that we really love like gospel and um and r&b and speaking of gospel he's also served as a music director for grammy winning grammy award winning gospel artists such as the clark sisters (gasps) richard smallwood (gasps) donnie mcclurkin hezekiah walker and and marvin sapp and Karen Clark Sheard ah! and Belinda Clark Cole and mm, oh never mind dang I'm mad that we decrescendo to Kim Burrell but oh I wish you never I knew who it was when your when your energy changed and I wish you didn't say it <laughs> I know you said you, you oh my god I'm mad I didn't see it until it was too late I was already building up and building up <laughs> yeah what a L it's okay <laughs> oh she sucks but all those other freaking Hezekiah Walker. I freaking love Hezekiah Walker. And Donovan McClurkin is like my all-time favorite, probably artist, period. Right. Oh, his voice sounds like butter. <laughs> and now you can, and Marvin Sapp will make me, will bring me to my knees. So He brings the whole church. I'm telling you, 20, 25 minutes at tops. I mean, at, at best. All right. Um, if you can believe it, his bio goes on for about seven more paragraphs after that. I'm, I mean, I don't because last time I checked, it's still 24 hours in a day. Right. He, and I'm barely um, making it through. Um, just a couple other highlights. Um, he's performed in the U.S. Virgin Islands, Europe, Japan, South America, Africa, and the U.S. Um, 
and he's a graduate of John S. Davidson Fine Arts School, and he's also studied at some of the finest conservatories and universities, including Howard University. H-U. <laughs> um, he earned his Bachelor of Music and Piano Performance. He also has a degree from the Peabody Conservatory, New York University, um, and he also earned a Master of Music Technology, um, scoring film and multimedia, um, and the Manhattan at the Manhattan School of Music. And he's going to graduate with his doctorate in orchestral conducting from USC uh, this year. Okay. I was like, okay, so how many degrees? How right they, <laughs> at this point, right? Cow. Just, just, just one, just a couple more things. Just a couple more things. I'm gonna, cause, cause we gotta wrap it up because we're gonna be here all night long. Um, oh, he, he popping, popping. Right. Like I'm telling you, I'm skipping over so much. Like I'm skipping <laughs> over. So, like this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, he was recently named a 2019 artist in residence at the Carr Center in Detroit, Michigan, along with Debbie Allen, uh, George Shirley, oh and Savion Glover. Right. Like, <laughs> um, he's also uh, going to lead a lecture on arts leadership and entrepreneurship at the University of Michigan Ann Arbor um, this October. Um and at the at the Jazz at Lincoln Center Swing Academy on the history of gospel music for three classes this November, he's going to be leading, and um, he's going to both lecture on and conduct Wynton Marsalis's um, Abyssinian Mass at the National Collegiate Choral Organization's bi- biennial conference at the University of Maryland College Park. <sighs> he is doing <laughs> not the breath. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh my just, goodness and you know what the word like i skipped over about i'd say maybe eight to eight or nine paragraphs like of his bio just now and tell me why the whole bio concludes with a semicolon and then and much more how, much more how much how more? much more how how much quando for for gateways, you have to turn in a bio. I think it has to be less than one hundred fifty words. I said that's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you how do you even how do you even pare down a bio like this? You can't. I would be like, I'm popping. Like everything, everything is phenomenal. Like, how do you be like, oh, that's not that. Like, there's certain performances. I'm like, okay, I can leave that out. I can leave that. You know? Yeah. How, how are you leaving this out? Who are you gonna leave out? Donnie McClarkin? Right. Or or who? Karen Clark Sheard? Well, obviously, Kimber. Well, Kimber. Yeah. <laughs> I like. I would actually. I would take that off for now. Um, <laughs> just as a, this is an edit. <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, this in my bio is easy to pare down stuff. You know what I'm saying? But like, well, I it, say that. But yeah. Okay. But meanwhile, your bio is all okay. This is about Damien and his trailblazing. The girls could never. This is like, this is like some Simone Biles level, right? I looked at one of her scores. She literally leads the girls by five points. You know how hard that is to do in gymnastics. Right. Like people be winning by like a tenth of a point. She she's dusting people, right? Like Damien, we can't touch you. It's it's actually too late. It's like you're so far ahead that it's like all we could do is just try our best. It's like when people compete compete against Simone, they compete for they. They're going for second place because right. it's not even worth your time <laughs> to try to go for first. It's like, oh, Simone Biles here. 
Okay, second or third place. That's cool with me. Right. Like Damien here. I mean, I guess I could. I might could go to my little Juilliard or whatever. Right. I'm my gonna little. pray for the people gonna be in his class because I would be embarrassed to turn in any paper to him. Right. Like, <laughs> it's just not gonna. It's never gonna be good enough. Like somebody with a with a record like this must have standards that are sky high, as he should. Right. But who's living up to them? Him. <laughs> and that's about it so and the girls aren't even coming close what an embarrassment good luck y'all <laughs> happy school year oh my goodness well shout out to you damien do your thing black man all right got a piece this week i do so shastakovich wrote these little ditties okay they're actually ditties um if i remember correctly um He was encouraged to write um, these jazz suites um, because they wanted him to write happier music. I couldn't imagine like I'm I'm writing stuff and you tell me how to write it. Um, but in particular, I'm shouting out his jazz suite number two, um, the fourth movement. The waltz is freaking lit. Oh, so is the fifth movement. But um, I love these pieces. Um, they're a lot of fun to play. And um, yeah, that's my piece. Shostakovich Jazz Suites. Take a listen, particularly uh, number four. Okay, Shostakovich. Jazz Suite number two. Jazz Suite number two. What did you say? No, so Actually, I don't really Shostak- Wow. Y'all think I'm <laughs> Like, wow. No, Delaney, no one, be- everyone knows that you troll me. I doubt it. People know this. Well, now they know. All right. Well, let's get out of here. Thank you so much for listening to Classically Black Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Classically Black Podcast. Okay. If you have a piece of the week suggestion, I'm not doing it over. An intermission suggestion, <laughs> or I don't know, honey, something else. You want to talk to us? Talk to us. Y'all be talking to us now. Like, y'all cute keep doing it like um hello do y'all speak um okay follow us on (laughs) follow us on social media at classically black podcast and we will talk to y'all next week goodbye okay bye (laughs) y'all